Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another crossover episode of the Project MedTech Podcast and MedTech Money Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website www.projectmedtech.com and follow us on LinkedIn. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the law firm McDonald Hopkins. Building med tech companies the right way based on great technology is not a one-size-fits-all endeavor. McDonald Hopkins provides a customized and proactive strategy that align clients' valuable med tech technology with their business goals. This, in turn, builds those clients into successful, thriving companies. With strong experience and depth in the startup, venture capital, intellectual property, and fundraising arenas, McDonald Hopkins can be an important part of your team to help you develop the med tech business that you envision. In this episode, Rich Mazzola at Project MedTech and I discuss Rich's background in the MedTech space, what we can expect from him as host of the MedTech Money podcast series, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Rich Mazzola. Mr. Rich Mazzola, welcome to the podcast. Mr. Mancini, thank you. Uh, so, Rich, let's um, brief intro for the listeners. This will, this is going to air on both MedTech Money and Project MedTech. Um, but uh, brief intro into the to to who you are and what you do, um, and then uh, we will touch on the exciting news about uh, what you'll be doing here. Yeah. So. Um, my name is Rich Mazzola. I am the CFO of Project MedTech, and I lead our finance consulting division of our, our consulting practice. Um, if you listen to go back in time and listen to episode 21 of Project MedTech, um, you could see where, where I started with uh, Mr. Dwayne here. And at that time, I was working for a C CPA firm. Um, and my background's more or less in the CPA world. So I had spent a decade working for CPA firms in various degrees between audit and tax for small medium enterprises, transaction advisory work for late stage companies exiting uh, exit planning. Um, and then ultimately I found a really interesting niche while I was living in Oklahoma city. Oklahoma city had a really great uh, section of downtown that they were starting to call strawberry fields. I guess it was an old strawberry field back in the day. And that was where they were creating an investor and entrepreneurial hub. Um, so while I was working there remotely, I started working out of a group called Starspace 46, which was a incubator that's still there today. And it's a great facility um, and really fell in love with early stage entrepreneurs, the pre-seed ideation stage of what they were doing, um, did some pro bono work down there. And then when my wife and I moved back to Ohio, I said, you know what, I'm going to take a brief sabbatical from CPA World. And I joined a tech startup down in Akron called Drips, which was a telemarketing passive AI engine for you know, general outreach. So you would get a text versus a phone call from a 1-800 number, but it was a local area code. And they say, hey, you saw you were interested in these blinds. Would you, you know, like a call right now or would you like to schedule something? And so it was a more passive marketing approach and you would see an uptick in conversions that way. So help them out with some Series A funding or they, what they were thinking about at the time for funding, um, which I think was the Series A, and spent about 13 months working for them and realized at that stage that, you know, if we're not fundraising, there's not enough work for 
you know, controller, director, finance, CFO to do at this stage. And so this is great. I could do this for a lot of different companies. And so I took that thought pattern back to the CPA firm I was working with at the time and said, hey, let's launch a practice around fractionalizing the finance role within startups. Um, and at the time I said, it's going to be pre-seed and seed stage. Um, did that for about five to 10 companies, um, switched firms at a point in time, continued to do that and extrapolate it, got up to about 20 companies and expanded the thought from pre-seed to series B. And that's where you and I met. Um, and at the time we, we co-founded Project MedTech along with Arrington Houston and, and thought about how we wanted to grow this and the consulting practice that came into that. And um, one of the things that resonated with me as we talked in that early stage was, you know, there are st startups were coming to me for finance support. Absolutely. But what they weren't, they were also coming to me for operational help, um, manufacturing assistance, uh, fundraising tactics and fundraising help, cap table dilution. Uh, so it wasn't just finance. It was a lot of other things. And so when we sat down and said, hey, this is a fractional C-suite, it clicked and said, absolutely. That's a need that I, I've seen multiple times. I just can't do it being in a CPA firm. And so we were able to launch this and uh, come over with the finance division as kind of a, a starting point. Yeah. So, so, so Rich, when you, um, we'll, we'll get to the big announcement, um, cliffhanger. Um, but when you talk about what you, what you do for, um, the startups that, that product project medtech engages, um, uh, fractional finance, uh, fractional C-suite, what, you know, whatever it is, what, what does that mean? I mean, what, what are you, what are you doing for these clients? Yeah. So I'll speak specifically to finance and then I'll yeah. extrapolate across what we do in the other sectors, but I always attribute it to a bell curve. So the answer to your question is it depends. And it, it depends because at the stage the startup is at, and what I define as stage is pre-seed, seed, series A and series B, and where you fall into each of those, whether it's in between or right on the dot, uh, we do different things at those stages. And so I always say it's a bell curve. So pre-seed, we're doing a lot of advisory, not a lot of tactical tasks for the startup necessarily. And then it spikes from seed to series A, and then it starts coming back down when we get to series B, because at that point they're hiring full-time employees to, to take over the roles. But what we do in the finance division is a couple different things. So I'll call it the uh, blast of work that clients tend to give us, which is a mixture of a pro forma development, which effectively takes their business plan and most likely their P&L pro forma and builds it into a full enterprise model that encompasses the balance sheet, the cash flow. Um, your PL, obviously, revenue projections, your hiring strategy, independent contractors, if that's who you're using, the budget for the next 24 months, and then how we're going to allocate dollars in the later years. Um, and then how that all kind of comes back to in a discounted cash flow model to say, what's our valuation today? And does that kind of jive with what we're actually putting out there to investors? And so it's obviously internal. We're not CVAs by any means, but it's a way to kind of gut check ourselves to say, what we're saying we're going to do financially makes sense for what we're saying we're doing today from an investment strategy standpoint. And a lot of times that conversation quickly turns into, well, I need help understanding my milestones. So we get Aaron involved from a milestone mapping standpoint. Um, it, it kind of quickly turns into, oh, I didn't know I needed to raise that money that fast. And so now we're getting into investment strategy conversation. So you can see where these things start overlapping a little bit. Because what we're doing is we've taken what you've said and what's in your head and put it on paper in, a fi in financial terms, and it's quickly turned into an exercise around financial strategy, where we're spending, what we're spending money on, how quickly our timeline's reflected there. Um, and there's a great thing I always do with clients at the tail end of it. And it's always kind of a surprise for them, but I call it the cash curve. And it's showing them, based on our fundraising, it's nothing crazy, but it's showing them, hey, we're raising money here, we're raising money here, we're spending here, here, and here. 
Here's when we're going to get cash flow positive based on what you said. But what did we complete right before we raised that money? And that quickly turns into a conversation about, well, I didn't generate any value. I have to move this fundraise two months down the road because I need to complete my FDA submission or I have to get clearance or whatever that big valuation bump might be. Because we don't want to be raising money before those things happen because that's just not a, a good dilution tactic. Um, and so it, it shifts the timeline and becomes quickly strategy. So that uh, process, that development process is a really great exercise for the client as well as us. And then quickly thereafter, they come back and say, I need recurring strategy help. I need recurring. I, I don't have a good bookkeeping status in here, so we'll do the bookkeeping efforts for them. And then help me understand how I'm going to get diluted and how my current stakeholders are going to get diluted as part of these part, you know, later rounds. And so it's a really nice step stone into or a foot in the door into the client's understanding of what we do. Um, and then quickly thereafter, we, you know, we get Aaron involved from the operations side. What's the contract manufacturing look like? Let's figure out your bomb schedule. Let's figure out what tasks everybody's doing in the organization and who's marching towards the same uh, beat of the drum. And so I always tell folks that from a startup perspective, it's all of us running downhill at the same time, but we're all running in different directions and everyone's screaming at each other. So it's a lot of chaos. And so what we're trying to do is be that rock in the storm, get everybody running down the same line and the same hill to the same beat. Um, and it, it, it's worked fairly well with our clients so far. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think there's a few things I want to highlight there. Um, one, um, you know, to your point, all of these things are so intertwined. Uh, and I think that's been the most, uh, it's been like the biggest thing for me watching, um, is commercialization builds. You, you have to th you think about those things to build into your pro forma and to build into milestone mapping. And, and while most of my exposure prior to project MedTech was really on the, Hey, I have this idea. How do I get clearance or FDA approval or whatever it is? Um, there's, there's these different things that I wasn't aware of before. And one of the first ones that came out, you, you kind of mentioned bomb analysis and working with operations is that awkward spot from a cash flow perspective when you start to um, sell your product, right? There's this really awkward spot of your first few customers making orders, not paying you yet because of the terms in which you may get paid from a hospital system, for example, and having enough money to withstand um, uh, the cash flow issue there. It was something I was not not aware of until I, I was I was I dropped in on a conversation with you and Aaron, and we were in a sticky spot with the client because we're not sure we could we're going to make it out of their first few customers, which sucks because this is all you work for, right? And so I love how intertwined commercialization, operation, and finance truly is, and how much we each rely on each other as we go through the process. Yeah, and for the the finance operations folks listening in, uh, we we use BOM, which I'm sure you're aware of. A bill of materials is what that stands for. Yeah. What goes into the product, and then the reference on on the uh, what Dwayne just mentioned was the working capital side of things. And that's I think that's a huge gap that most founders they focus on the P and L, they focus on their burn from an expense standpoint. What they don't figure out is what's my minimum order quantity. So I got to purchase a hundred thousand units all of a sudden. That's a big slug of cash. And now, oh wait, hospitals don't pay for ninety to one hundred twenty days. Oh, well, that's another slug of cash. I'm putting product out there that I've already paid for that I'm not getting reimbursed for yet. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, you're right. It's a huge gap. And, and if we don't look at the balance sheet and cash flow, that's, that becomes a, a change in our funding strategy yeah. fairly quickly. Right. And and I think to, to sprinkle onto this, you know, we, we, we talk about um, 
what makes a successful startup, right? I mean, they've got to be solving a problem that's worth solving. Um, and we're not going to, we're not going to pretend here, Project Medtech, that we're experts in that space, um, where they, they have to have a solution that truly solves the problem. Again, we're, we're not experts in picking that solution either. Um, but where we see a lot of companies fail is their plan, developing a really solid plan, holistic plan, and then executing it. And that's where we feel we add value. And I think that based on Rich's explanation, you can kind of see that. So Rich, let's get to the uh, the big announcement here. You're going to be taking over. Um, so, so Giovanni uh, Loricella from Lifeblood Capital hosted the first 120, 27 episodes of the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech. Um, and the goal when when we first set out, and you can listen to the previous episode if you're really curious um, about uh, what the goal was when we asked Giovanni to, to host that series with us and partner together, it was to really tell a, a holistic story of entrepreneurs side of raising money, investor side of raising money inside the US, outside the US, uh, you know, Israel, Australia, Europe, VC, family office, angels, um, corporate venture. What about entrepreneurs who raised from those groups? I mean, that was really the goal. When we first started this, Giovanni and I sat down, we made a whole list and said, okay, we want a VC from here, here, and here. And we want entrepreneurs who have raised from those VCs. And we want to tell this clear picture. And I think at 127 episodes, uh, you know, Giovanni and I both agreed that the work was done. Um, and so now, we're going to transition this series into something just a little bit different. Um, Rich is going to be taking over as as the um, host. And so, Rich, tell us how the podcast is going to be evolving um, so that we're still adding some value to um, the ecosystem. Yeah, no, and I'm excited to... Uh... To, to host it from from here on and and Giovanni did a fantastic job uh, of storytelling here and um, you know the, the spin we're gonna take going forward is I like the commute I like listening to half hour podcast episodes it allows for us to kind of sit in the car drive think about what's going on on the radio and then uh, you know apply that to the day and so from an entrepreneur perspective we get questions all the time of I need introductions and we always tell them our responses well you need to go research who's a good fit for you and so this, uh, the future MedTech Money episodes are going to be focused more on that tactical understanding of who's the fund, who's the person that we're interviewing behind the fund, how do they get involved in venture capital, how do they get involved with the fund and why, and then ultimately, what is the fund? What's their thesis? What do they like to invest in? What opportunities do they like to look at and when? Um, you know, what's their check size? What's valuation in terms of macroeconomics and how's that shaking out today versus it was last year? And so, it's more of a, an understanding of the fund and who you're going to potentially talk to. So founders can listen to this, say, Ooh, that's a great fit. And then go and figure out how to reach out to that individual and, and pitch. And so that's where we're getting to with this. And, um, there's still some stories. There's still some great content involved. Uh, uh, and I always, my, my final question to these folks as I'm interviewing them is always, what's a good business book you would recommend and what's a good personal book. Um, and if they're not, uh, if they don't like that question, I always go into what's your favorite cocktail. So there's still some, some personal storytelling in here, but more focused on the fund and the overall macro level economics of the current investment environment, as well as the exit strategies that are being applied today. Yeah, sure. And, and also I think just not, not to correct you as I think I know what you meant, but 
not just VCs. We're talking corporate venture. We're talking family offices. We're talking high net worth individuals, angel investors, um, and really breaking down, um, you know, the differences in, 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 like you said, how they invest. I think that'll be super important. Um, yeah, the first, the first episode we recorded was actually with the hospital venture group. There so to your point, right. yes. Yeah. It's, it's not just venture capital. It's, it's, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's not just VCs, institutional investors. It's everybody that would invest in med tech. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so, um, so you did your first recording. Um, who else is on the, uh, hey, we have them scheduled, ready to go? Who could we expect to hear from in the first few episodes? Yeah, so so uh, in terms of health ventures, we have Orlando Health Ventures that's going to be coming in. Yuri down there is a fantastic episode. Bill Mamby from Interstate Fusion, who's a local VC here in town. And then we have uh, a different spin on some surgeons that I've been speaking with specifically that are angel investors in their orthopedic, I'm sorry, in their particular area. So some orthopedic surgeons, as well as some general surgeons uh, and why they invest in what and how. Uh, and I, I love the spin. And, and this is a shout out to my alma mater, which is John Carroll University, who's taking a spin with Blue Streak Ventures now. But the idea around um, getting involved with the, uh, I forget the state they call it, but Israel, who's one of the major investment hubs and how there's ties to innovation over there and how it's coming back to the US. So I think there's some interesting opportunities to talk there. Yeah, that's great. What, um, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I love the idea of having indiv individual angels on, um, especially because, you know, that's primarily who funds pre-seed seed deals, right? At the end of the day, um, uh, there's a lot of VC that's getting earlier and earlier, but still there, there's, there's not enough to fund some of these really early ideas. And it's, it's nothing, it's not, the fault of a VC, I think people think, oh, well, VCs are only later or they're all moving later. They all want de-risked opportunities, but but it's also the mechanics of how their fund works. And I think you'll learn that if you listen to the other 127 episodes of when they have to return to their shareholders and, and the mm -hmm. mechanics behind that. And so it is a, it is difficult, um, but I hopefully, you know, like Giovanni did in the first ep few ep the first 127 episodes, right? Demystify that for us. Um, awesome, Rich. So let me let me turn the uh, turn the tables on you. You said you're asking people what their favorite business book is and what their favorite cocktail is. Um, mm -hmm. What is your favorite business book um, and what is your favorite cocktail? Uh, my favorite business book is expected to arrive today, so I have a copy for you. But it's called Getting Naked, and it's right. it's all about uh, consulting practice. It's a, a fable more or less. Um, and it's written in the, the idea around being vulnerable in front of clients. And it's an interesting take because you're expected to know everything, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's that's a, a misconception. And the example, one of the examples I always remember is that uh, uh, one of the consultants was a marketing consultant working for an ad agency that works in sports. And this, they were in a meeting and somebody brings up a ball signed by Babe Ruth. And the consultant asks, who's Babe Ruth? And it's the idea of, you know, you're an ad agent working for a, a sports agency and you don't know who Babe Ruth is. Like, and, and typically that would be a negative thing. But in reality, it's like, no, you're being vulnerable. You're showing the humanity around mm -hmm. who you are. And I think that conceptually allows us to think about, um, you know, look, clients come to us with all sorts of problems. Every company is different. Every business plan is different. Every situation is different. And to assume that we know everything is, is not correct. And so the idea and the, the mentality here is, we don't know everything. If we don't know it and we're not comfortable with it, we'll find somebody that does, or we'll go figure it out for you. And that's the idea of being vulnerable, exposing yourself, and then, but ultimately producing the result they need. Yeah, I um, love that. So, 
And then the second book, I'm actually going to do a double dipper here is called uh, How to Fight a Hydra. And this is a book I give to all my clients that start out on their first entrepreneurial journey. And it's about a, it's a fable and it's about a uh, squire that goes to fight a hydra for the first time and he fails, right? There's no diamonds behind the hydra, but it's the idea of what the lessons he learned along the way. And then he goes and does it again, does it again. And it's kind of the, the fable about the squire is a serial entrepreneur and the journey and how you're supposed to kind of react yeah. and affect and absorb along the way. All right. What about, um, uh, one, I will uh, audio podcast, but I'll put it up in my, my, my to read books are up here. So I'll put it somewhere on the, I got two stacks now and that's because I um, expect it at the top of the pile. Yeah. That's, that's because of, uh, uh, two kids right there. There's and, 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 uh, and finding Project MedTech with you, right? There's just not a lot of time to read, but I will read the book. Um, okay, tell me about the cocktail. Uh, I forget the name, but I think it's French 45 or French 75, and it's a, a gin cocktail that I've I've enjoyed. And actually, I made it for your wife when she was pregnant with your second child. It was the non-alcoholic version, though. Oh, that's right. That's with right. With a bit of rosemary in it. Yes. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you made three of them for her. I, I wonder... Mm -hmm. I wonder if that um, was her favorite. I'm, I forget which one was. One was butterbeer. Yeah. And I forget what the other one was. But. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, okay, cool. Uh, all right, Rich. Uh, I don't think there's anything else. Anything else in closing um, that you want to add we didn't cover? No, excited to uh, participate in this. And if you have uh, funds that you've worked with or, yep. or individuals that have invested, we would love to interview them and talk to them. Good point. Um, so so link to Rich's LinkedIn if you want to connect with them through LinkedIn. Um, link to uh, Project MedTech's website um, where you can submit forms within there, sign up for our newsletter, that kind of good stuff. Um, but also if, if you have uh, vesting vehicles um or or in investment vehicles that that uh you think should be on the podcast um send them to info at projectmedtech.com and uh, we're glad to take a look at them and, and see if they're a good fit for the podcast so uh rich thanks so much for doing this hang on for a minute we'll chat offline but uh looking forward to your episodes thank you for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and leave a review if you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.